Hi, everyone. I'm Jeff Hunt, your host of the Human Capital Podcast. My focus on every episode of this podcast is to uncover the deeply human aspect of work. On the last episode, we began a discussion about personality assessments. These tools are widely used at work for many purposes, including improving team and individual performance, self-awareness, reducing reactivity, and enhancing working relationships. They're also used for things like shortening the recruitment cycle, eliminating bias, and even spotting dark personality traits. Ultimately, the goal is to help employees to learn to work better together. There are disadvantages, however, and these include the fact that many of these tools are inaccurate. They can increase recruitment bias, they can decrease diversity, and they can even be weaponized if used incorrectly. On the last episode, we focused on one tool which I believe has the opportunity to be transformational because it helps people get out of a box, not put them in a box. The tool is called the Enneagram, which has a long and rich history but has been modernized to be highly effective for personal and business use. If you missed the last episode, I encourage you to go back and have a listen. I took some time to go through each of the nine Enneagram types so you could better understand your own predisposition as well as better identify the traits in those you work with. It's not required listening, but it might provide you a better perspective when you listen to this episode. Ginger Lapid Bogda is joining me again today to talk about her new book, Transform Your Team with the Enneagram, Build Trust, Decrease Stress, and Increase Productivity. Boy, we could all use a little bit of that, couldn't we? <laughs> Ginger runs a consulting firm called The Enneagram in Business, and she is a consultant, trainer, and a coach with over 35 years of OD experience. Ginger works with Fortune 500 companies and has trained thousands of people and teams in using the Enneagram. I've read Ginger's new book and it's great. I would say it's a pragmatic look at team dynamics and it shows clearly how the different Enneagram types show up at work and how they relate to the forming, storming, norming and performing model which many of you may be familiar with. This is a Bruce Tuckman model that's decades old. The bottom line is that I would say Ginger uses theory and practice and real team stories to show you how to achieve high performance among teams. Ginger, thank you for coming back on the show. Let me start with a question about the writing of your book. What motivated you originally to write this book? You've written four other books and tell me about that process. Well, so teams, before I even knew the Enneagram, teams and leadership and diversity were the three areas that I probably knew the most about, but I was a general organizational consultant. I, when I learned the Enneagram, it was clear and easy for me to work, understand how it worked with teams. And in the early stages of my work in business, where people were like trying to learn, how do you bring the Enneagram to business? There were people who said, you can't use it in teams. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They, they just didn't understand teams. So in a certain way, writing a book that integrates the Enneagram with teams and team development, team leadership and team membership and all is a natural I probably could have, should have, why didn't I do it years ago? Okay, so then it gets to your question, Jeff, which is funny. Why did I do it now? The Enneagram has taken off markedly and 
there are a lot of organizations wanting to use the Enneagram in their teams and asking for people to help them do that, consultants. And what I've been finding, because I have a network of people and I have other people and clients, and so I'm sort of like tuned in. There are a lot of Enneagram consultants, trainers, who don't know how to really work with teams. And they're, can, you can do a lot of damage working with the team, with the Enneagram, as if the Enneagram is the be-all, end-all. And I was seeing that, and I'm getting people calling me about, now, we did this, but it didn't work, and we need you to come in and work with this. Or somebody is like, um, I work with this person, and they were going to do this. I'm like, no, that's not going to work. That's you got issues that need to be dealt with before you actually bring the Instagram in. So I was getting enough of that. And so I feel like, okay, I need to write this book on teams and the Instagram for leaders. So they know how and when to work with the, you know, and when to bring in a consultant, how to work with the Instagram with their team, but also their leadership style. Because a lot of it leaders you can do on your own, right? How to be a really good team member if you knew how to do this. So, because teams, good teams don't just happen magically. Sometimes they just feel that way, but there is a process and you can, one can make, um, you can almost make any team into a really high performing one if you know how to do it. And so, and then for consultants, trainers, and coaches, a lot of coaches shouldn't be doing team Instagram because they're not trained in teams. And so I was seeing like work coming out or people getting misled. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write this book and sort of share, put it all on the table about everything you need to know and do. And then I had enough stories. I said, like, this needs to have a story example. Either way. I didn't exhaust even all my stories, but it's full of examples, but it's more in story form than example. And, you know, you've read it. That's great. And I was just uh, appreciating as reading, as I was reading the book, how the book actually provides a framework, whether you want to try to implement some of these tools internally yourself, or you're a consultant and you want to go in and assist an organization. It's really a, a playbook. Right. And, and in the last chapter, it's about, so what if you're a team member? Here's also stuff you can do based on having read this book. So yeah, it's multi-layered. I'm, I'm also just kind of amazed at how little organizations invest in uh, leadership development about what it looks like to build a successful and engaged and productive and highly performing team. And also how to be a good team member. That, that seems to be a non-existent thing, right? Right. You know, it, it surprises me too, because we're so team-based now. And it's been a trend for many years, you know, years, almost getting to be decades. And then with the pandemic and remote, we're no longer all in person. We I mean, often were kind of a hybrid, but now it's really hybrid, right? Some teams are remote, some are fully, some are in person, rarely fully anymore. Some are a mixture, right. but it takes new challenges to be on that team. It's, I don't think it's harder. It's just different. I'm sure there are some companies that do teach you how to be a really good team leader, but I don't think there are many. And I mean, what are they teaching no. you really? It's a story in my book too, but one of my coaching clients is a very talented person. No leadership training whatsoever. Just dive in and you know figure it out. It's like, what? That's why I was a coach, right? Because it shouldn't be that hard. And why would do that? Maybe they don't know how to train leaders mm -hmm. or they don't want to take the time. But you now it's like leaders, is, it's very stressful. You know, it's stressful when you're new and you haven't been trained or you're just trying to, it's like, what do you do? You know, it's stressful when you're at the top because it, as one of my old clients said, this is not in the book, but it's, I'm consulting to you on a topic in your company and I'm not your coach. Why do you always want to talk to me when I come here? And he said, because when you get to my level, nobody tells you the truth anymore. 
So there's that. And then it's stressful that way. And it's stressful, you know, if you're any role you're in, it's just different kinds of stresses and leadership. So why can't we reduce that? And I think the Enneagram mm-hmm. can be really helpful in that. There is no leader, really. There are some people who are called leaders and they're kind of, who do they lead? Just themselves. But, you know, mostly people are leading some other people. Mm-hmm. And why aren't we training them well to do that? Right. Oftentimes it's a financial decision. So the they don't want to invest in that training, but what they're not seeing is the opportunity cost of not investing in it. What are they investing in? Because they have money to invest in development. What are they investing in? Well, they're investing in sales growth and development and marketing opportunities and new strategies and entering new markets and acquiring other companies. And the list goes on and on and on. And the reason why they invest in those things is because the CFO continues to demonstrate that there's a return on investment that's very tangible. So you can look at a profit and loss mm-hmm. statement, or you can look at a pro forma and see how did we did we make it? Did we not make it? Whereas the investment in human capital is much more intangible, but it oftentimes has an even greater result mm-hmm. than investing in those other elements of the organization. So, all right. With your book, you provided a great definition of psychological safety. And I think the way you put it in there, Ginger, was that it's the belief that you won't be humiliated or punished for sharing your thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And that it also means that you feel safe to take personal and interpersonal risks with others. I, I love that definition. And I'm also curious, why does it not work well when psychological, psychological safety is not present? If you don't feel a team or you take an or where there's a lack of psychological safety, how productive are they going to be? What, what, what are they going to do? How committed are they going to be? Aren't people going to leave? The cost of leave of people leaving the organization is huge. Um, how productive is a team going to be? Not too much. Uh, there's going to be a huge no. leadership loss. And I'm not saying lack of psychological safety is all about the leader's behavior, but how is that helpful? But in the context of the book, Jeff, what I'm talking about is the Enneagram doesn't solve all problems. If there's not at least a moderate level of psychological safety, the Enneagram can make things worse because how open are people going to be to uncover themselves, right? And to self-disclose or share things about themselves. So if the level of psychological safety is low, um, here's my invocation. Hey, leaders. Hey, people. Companies fix those things. Those can be. You need to find out why it's low. And then it goes to, which I know you're going to ask me, the relationship between trust and psychological safety, right? I know you're going to go there. (laughs) And I think it's a good question. But it's like if people don't trust, there's lack of low trust. The question you need to, one needs to ask, I, when working as a customer, why? Trust is a, it's a symptom, not a cause psychological safety is like, if there's low psychological safety, there's going to be low trust. If there's low trust, there's going to be a factor of something where psychological safety plays in. But even with psychological safety, what's the cause of it, right? There's always a cause. And then work with that. That's my thing. It seems like organizations that try to implement this Enneagram stuff without having the undergirding of psychological safety would essentially be doing a check the box event that could actually have a counter effect. Exactly. Tell us about the difference between a group and a team. Okay. Mm -hmm. A group is a 
is a collection of people who have something in common and something they probably do together. But a team is a subset or a special kind of group where yes, they, it's a group collection of people and they have something, but a team needs to have at least one common goal that they agree is a common goal, is a common goal and some degree of reliance or interdependence on each other, not everybody, but within them to be able to accomplish that goal or the goals. So I've seen a lot of leaders in organizations, you know, who have a group and they try to make them a team and they spend a lot of money trying, but they're never going to be a team because they don't have any common goals or level of interdependence. And that can often happen. You get, well, depends on how the organizations, but you might find the head of H- finance has HR reporting to them and logistics and like those are, you know, seemingly random, but they need to report to somebody. That's a group. You see what I mean? So it's very important for groups to not try to be teams if they never will be. But the other is also true. If you are a team, but you're functioning like a group where you've never defined your common goals or you don't have the interdependence to get there, stop acting like a group and define your, your impossible teamhood. To spend some time, what are our common goal or goals and what's our interdependence for getting there that will serve us well? And then you can move from a possible to an an actual team. Why is impatience the greatest enemy of becoming a high-performing team? (laughs) Oh my, because it takes some time to get to know each other. It takes time to work the issues out and get, takes time to get clarity on our charter and get to know each other, know our, who are we, what resources do we, it takes time. And most people want to jump to the action, jump to the deliverable. There's no exception to that. Now, there are a few types that realize, hey, we don't really know each other. We need to spend some time, but they'll get overridden. They also want to jump, you know, but if you start to jump, get to the action, what action? Is it the best action? No, probably not. And not everybody's going along with this. They, they were, so sometimes it might be the right action, but everybody, you need to get people onboarded with it. If they're not informed, if they're not included, if they don't, you know, it's not going to go. We uh, not only provide performance management software, but we have a consulting arm. And so we'll do strategic planning mm-hmm. sessions and we'll take teams and do two-day offsites and they'll do all this great vision casting. And I've found that over the course of my career that teams will be overly zealous. So they, they, they get into the impatience mode and they think that they're actually going to execute the entire plan in the next 90 days. We're always having to rein them in and say, okay, let's get really realistic and pragmatic mm-hmm. about this. And it's difficult for people to do that, isn't it? They don't want to, but they need to. They really don't want to. And we're people too. I mean, I can get impatient. I'm sure you can. Me too, especially as an Enneagram yeah. 3. And you, I probably, I don't know. We probably are both equally impatient, but over different things. The, the, some of the things that cause right. you to feel impatient are maybe not the things that cause that would generate impatience in me, but oh man. Okay, Ginger, in your book, I thought you sort of beautifully linked the Enneagram types with Bruce Tuckman's model, mm-hmm. his... Uh, For those of you that aren't familiar, it's this forming, storming, norming, and performing. Can you explain to our listeners what that model is and sort of how the Enneagram fits into this? Every team, not a group, but team, to become a high-performing one, 
needs to go through the four stages of team development. This was a research-based model. It totally works. It's sequential. Forming, you need to form as a team, both in terms of what's our task, what do, can we align around our charter, our task, our deliverables, and the relationships and processes. Are we attuned to each other? Do we know each other? Do we all want to be part of this, right? Can we move forward? And then inevitably, there's a, that's forming. Then you go to storming. Storming is we have differences. It doesn't mean an out-and-out conflict. It just means we have differences in how we're functioning, we're operating, our understanding. Maybe somebody feels abrupt to me and not to you, and that's a little tension in there. And, but it can be from mild to, to severe. But I think the issue is that those need to be brought up and resolved because they will go underground if not. Now, if there's too much conflict and tension in a team, why, right? I'd ask why, and it usually has something to do with the dynamics of the team or the forming stage, but, and other factors too, but okay. If there's too little or none, it means they're sitting on something and they're not sharing. It's like, it's going to show up. So mm-hmm. they, you know, bring up the issues and get those resolved. Then teams go to the norming stage, which means what are our new working agreements that we need to either change from older ones or add to that will help us function more effectively? And they can be norms, even as like, what, what day of the week are we going to have our team meetings? Maybe the day isn't work for people or how long they're going to be or structural, structural things. things, or it could be like... Mm-hmm. What food are we going to have? It's in person. I'm tired of, you know, whatever we're serving for lunch. <laughs> I mean, a lot of companies can get into rat, ruts. Stuff, so it's just, but it's a new norm. And then we agree to it. And then once that, then move to high performing. Now, it doesn't mean that the team is going to stay at high performing. I mean, they're there, but some different things, like they get a new leader, it can be back to forming. But hopefully the new leader is similar enough and open enough to the team that if that and oriented enough that they can go back to high performing pretty quickly. If the new leader is dramatically awful for them or just dramatically different, that's gonna be a struggle because the team's already in a different place. But you know, change of resources, change of charter can do that. But the teams that have gone to high performing already, they will handle those with great resilience and ability and capability. The teams that haven't, you put a, there may be delivering but put a change, a major change to them, they're going to struggle with it because they haven't gone through the earlier stages enough and they're going to have to go back and revisit. And so they do. So, but see, everybody wants to get to high performing back to your patience question. And you got to put the time in. I mean, you're still functioning and accelerating into doing things together, but it's the time is so well spent and it's really important. So how do the types connect to this? Well, We have different behaviors at each of the stages by type, highly predictable. Some of them support movement forward and some of them may not as much. So in my book, I describe that at each stage, what's the typical behavior? What would be some shifts if you were wanting to help the team move forward based on your type? What would that be? And experiment with it. You know, they're not like, they're not asking you to be um, dramatically different. Just, hey, okay, let me try this and see if it changes things. And then do teams, as they're moving through these stages, really have a clear and open understanding Mm -hmm. of each other's different types? And are they able to have open communication with one another about how they can serve the team better? Yeah, they do that. But here's my experience with teams that work with us. The Enneagram is inherently fascinating 
And people are really interesting and we get in curiosity. So when people know each other's types, they know their own and they're, and they're committed to their own development, right? That's helpful. When you're on a team with people like that, you learn so much about all the types, at least on the team, your depth of knowledge in, increases and your curiosity about, oh, that's why Jeff does this, right? He's like, oh, yeah. yeah. And we can have conversations about that. And, sure. You know, it's, and it's not only that's why Jeff does this, but it's from a non-judgmental place. Exactly. Because of the acceptance and value of every single type rather than one type being better than another or anything Probably like that. Probably better. Say Jeff does this and I do that. And that doesn't, Jeff doesn't like that I do that, right? Right. So can we have a conversation about that? Because I'm coming from how I normally would be in Jeff. What's the way of having a conversation where goes beyond understanding to would be we can do things differently a little yeah. bit, one of us. Speaking of that, can you give us an, an example of how the knowledge of the Enneagram and somebody's number can sort of help depersonalize conversations? Oh, it totally does. Because see, if you're taught the Enneagram correctly, it helps you see yourself in a more objective way. Mm -hmm. Now, if people hide behind their type and go, well, I just do that because I'm a five or I just, that's not how it's supposed to be used. But if you go and you're working on your development, and again, the Enneagram is beautiful as a development system because it specifically targets. So then you're in a way observing yourself and you're not identified with your type. You're working on yourself, accessing more of your more versatile, more uh, satisfying, less suffering, so, you know, yes. higher self, if you will. It's really cool that way. So if we're in a, say, I mean, we're not, but you're, I'm a two and you're a three, right? So suppose there's something between us, right? And I know, hey, Jeff's reacting this way. He's a three. I get why he's reacting that way. I don't have to feel, because as a two, I'll feel like I did something wrong. Right. It's not working. I go, oh, it isn't that I did something wrong. See, I can help me. So there I go thinking, I don't know, this isn't about that. You know, I can work on my, let me here see him. Now, he wants that. Do I have to do what he wants? Because as a two, I might want to. Hey, Ginger, you don't have to do that. I mean, I'm doing a lot of inner work with that, right? Not that he's ex just expecting me to do that. Right. But, okay, let me hear this. This is about something he might prefer. Now, maybe it's something he's willing to work on or not, but then it can become a very interesting co-creating situation. Mm -hmm. Very good. So uh, what's the expected release date of your book for people who are interested? And also, how can they find you? Well, the expected release date is probably, it's, we're looking at, you know, there's a lot of variables, but it's looking like the end of June and they'll be able to access it on um, Amazon for sure. Great. Right, either June or sometime in July. Now how they can find me, I mean, the Enneagram in business.com. Perfect. And then they can, people can write into the website, but we would, we have a really, I think, robust website, lots of Enneagram resources on it you know, invite people to kind of see what's there and, you know. Great. I want to ask you some few questions before we wrap up. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Now, that's a hard one because what's coming to my mind is something where somebody might say something to me that's advice, but it's swearing and I prefer not to swear, but it's when I get too concerned about, um, others' reactions for some reason, you know, it's not necessarily personal, but in sort of the space of organizations and pe the people I respect and know, and they will say, well, 
nah, nah, right? You can fill in the words, like, don't care about that. And that feels right now like really good advice, but I prefer not to use the- <laughs> The pronouns. The pronouns. <laughs> okay, great. So what is the most important takeaway to leave with our listeners from these last couple episodes? If you think back on our, our talks, I can answer that better about what I might want. Great, let's hear it. Explore the Enneagram. It's got great co- possibilities and capabilities. It's the system that when people get into it, they are more likely to bring it home into other aspects of their life. So it can make a huge difference. I am not a fan of personality systems, even though I know them well. So I think Enneagram, also some are useful in different ways. The Enneagram is fundamentally different and so powerful. And if it's not for you, okay. And sometimes it's not for you now, but it, you know, three years from now, it still shows up again in your life and you go, oh, I listened to a podcast on that. Now might be my time to explore. Let me, I'm going to turn the tables. I, you can, I'm gonna, what about for you, Jeff? What would you want the takeaway to be? I agree with you. I think curiosity was a word that came up either in the last episode or the beginning of this one. And curiosity has served me extremely well over my career. And I would say, be curious. I would say, walk away with a curiosity about your team, whether you're a team member or a leader, and be curious about what your Enneagram type is and and how you show up and be curious about your own self-awareness and ways that you may have tendencies you're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really loved our talk, you know, just getting a summary of each of these different nine types and how they tend to show up at work and how human beings are so nuanced. Mm -hmm. And let's just accept that rather than try to change people and make them different. Let's try to allow them to show up in a way that allows their gifts to really shine and add value to the team. And wouldn't it be boring if everybody else were just like us? Absolutely. (laughs) Ginger, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for asking. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. Let me know what you thought of this episode by emailing humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human. Kind.